0: So today we are talking to William Paul Young. He's the author of The Shack, Crossroads, and Eve. And he recently released a nonfiction book, his first one, called Lies We Believe About God. He's a Canadian. He was born in Canada. He was raised among what he calls a Stone Age tribe by missionary parents in the highlands of the Netherlands, which is uh, now West Papua, like New Guinea. And uh, from the time he was young, he he had a great sense of loss because of some of the stuff that happened. But now I love he uses a term called the wasteful grace of God He is the wasteful grace in his growing family in uh, the Pacific Northwest. And they have an amazing family. I've been able to spend time with him and his family several times. And I've spent time with Paul, I don't know, a dozen times now. And Paul has so impacted uh, my personal community. As a matter of fact, when I first started a church, Paul came with his family down to LA for different reasons, several times. And just impacted some of the young people who were going through uh, just life crisis, sometimes death, life and death type stuff, sometimes relational stuff. And him and his wife, we call her Mama Young, they just they just fathered and mothered some people in our community in a way that I had never seen. So much fruit and transformation happened, especially people who had religious confusion or spiritual confusion about god and they were they allow people to ask really hard questions, they always grounded everybody back in Jesus, they always grounded everybody back in a relationship to God, but they allowed people to go through a hard process, which I think a lot of church spiritual fathers and mothers are afraid of having answer or questions that they can't answer or questions that they only have one answer and that the person wants to maybe define. I'm going to like search for or research other answers to this question. And Paul and his wife just have so much grace for people to be on a spiritual journey of wonderment and just of intrigue and knowing that when you're following after God, you'll always end up back at the cross. You just do. You end up back in the arms of Jesus because he's so good. He's trying to reveal himself to you and he's not afraid of big, deep, hard questions And one of the reasons I wanted to have Paul on the show is because we're exploring the prophetic, and here he has this book that sold, I think, 17 million copies, The Shack and the other books have done incredible as well. And these books and the movie now have gone to places that the church has never treaded, that pastors would never go, households that nobody in the church could ever evangelize. And these books speak a message about the nature of God and the character of God that that there's no one who, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of people who had never heard it any other way. So I wanted to talk to him as both a creative father in the Christian community, but also to hear his how the Holy Spirit's affecting his world. And I just, I love one of the stories that I believe he's going to tell us, and I think you will too. Let's embrace Paul Young. Welcome to exploring the prophetic. I'm Sean Bolger, host, and I'm extremely, extremely grateful and excited that my friend Paul Young would be on the show today. Paul, welcome to the show.
1: I am so honored to be with you, Sean. So appreciate it. Well, we'll I was—I
0: was actually thinking about the first time I interviewed you, and it was like nine years ago or something. On our, we had a Christian radio show, and you shared. I mean, I think we ended up going into two shows and they were hour, hour long shows, anyways. And you shared from your gut of guts and I, it changed me forever. Like, it just, I still remember. Oh, man. Just the vulnerability you shared with was amazing.
1: Well, nine years later, I still have no clue what I'm doing. So
0: <laughs> you're, you're doing a pretty good job with no clue. That's,
1: <laughs> hey, it's, it's the way to live. Let me tell you, becoming a child, it's, uh, it's where all the action is. Cause when you're an adult, you're never present enough to see what's going on right in front of you. It's not
0: not true. Just living connected. You can't live connected unless you're present. And kids, my kids are perfect examples to me of why I need to be discipled all the time and being present.
1: (laughs) Yeah, okay. Well, we have 10 grandbabies now and twins on the way. So they teach me more about staying present than anybody ever has. And I'm so grateful.
0: This is so good. So we're talking about exploring the prophetic, exploring God's voice, And just how his voice changes us in the world around us. And I know for you, so much of your story is just God revealing his radical grace to you in the midst of a, a pretty challenging life. And I don't know where you want to go with this interview. I'm going to actually lean into you and say, what do you want to talk about? Because you have so much you can say on so many different levels, but what's on your heart today?
1: Yeah, let's see. I come from a very rationalist, um, intellectuality. I grew up a (laughs) modern evangelical fundamentalist where, you know, a lot of us went to hide in our heads because it was the only place we felt we had any control. Um, especially if our hearts were broken and, um, so, intellectuality and a, and a very rationalistic view of the Word of God, you know, was almost the third person of the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yes. You know, so this. everything, everything yeah, was geared through the grid of your um, ability to process it rationally and intellectually. And mystics were considered to be, you know, fringe at best. Wow. Um, incredibly suspect immediately. And yet, they're the ones whose writing touched me, whether it was within the faith community or outside. Um, oh, wow. A Rumi or a Khalil Gibran or an A.W. Tozer, um, you know, uh, or the Catholic mystics or, the, or some of the early church um, medieval mystics. So, my journey was to try to find a way to get out of my head. And yeah. um, mm-hmm. that has required some... Some major dismantling in terms of my world. Um, well, my in some defense ways, you, you become
0: like um, a relational theologian in a way with God. And people accuse you of all kinds of things, but I'll accuse you of being a relational theologian. <laughs>
1: well, I, I, I love that term. I think that's, you know, if relationship is at the heart of God, that there's no deeper truth about God than that God is relational then um, I'm tremendously honored to be considered a relational theologian. But, you know, at at the heart of relationship is communication. Yeah. You know, without any communication, there is no relationship. And I think that's why Jesus pre-incarnate is the word, or Sophia, wisdom, or... it, It just says that communication is at the heart and the center of relationship. So, in terms of who God is. God is not a bad communicator. If God is fundamentally relational, then communication is at the heart of God. And that means God has been speaking to all of us our whole lives. But God is such a good communicator that He knows our language. And that's what love would do. Love would come to us and speak our language. You know, I'm a missionary kid. I grew up in the mission field. And the one thing the missionaries didn't do was come speaking their own language and expecting everyone to understand it. Yeah, um, We had to learn their language in order to be able to communicate. And that took, in many cases years for children. It didn't take that long at all. but uh, but for the adults, it took a long time. So God is a good communicator. God knows your language, and so often we are so shame based. In our lives, that um, we discount how we hear, we think oh, we need to so hear great. it. We need to hear. We think we need to hear it the way somebody else does, and um, and for me, I, I now am very comfortable knowing that God knows Paul language. He knows my language, and um, and speaks to me inside my frame of reference. Stretch mm-hmm. yes. But I've I've come to know the voice. And I've never heard God speak audibly to me. I've had some dreams that I know did not originate in my own psyche, although I definitely participated. But I also have come to know the voice. And and I'm also comfortable with the that part of communication is silence. You know, so I I use different terms to talk about how I hear God speak to me, and one of them is just a nudge. I just get this nudge. And most of the time I think it's mine. I think I, oh, well, that's a good idea. Or, huh, what an interesting thought, you know? And I I suspect that I came up with it.
0: I think that that's the majority of how people hear from God. When I do trainings and, and prophetic classes and stuff, the majority of people get impressions. I mean, we share the same headspace with God. So they hear God sometimes even sounds like our voice, but it's not necessarily with the intention of what we would have originally told ourselves. You know, it's like there's something that's beyond us. And I've, I've been doing an experiment and when I've been reaching out to people and just sharing heart, what life, whatever, if I'm just running by somebody and I feel prompting, one of the things I'll do instead of trying to be a word for them or have a word or try and do like some evangelistic exploit, I just try and put them in touch with God. Sometimes they borrow my faith and I'll be like, hey. You know, like there's, there's this girl who's depressed. I was like, what's going on? She's like, I just, I can't figure out purpose. And I said, do you want to talk to God about that? She's like, I don't know how to do that. I'm like, we'll, just, well, let's ask some questions together. You just listen and see what happens. And by the time we were done with the conversation, she heard what she's called to do and about three steps how to take it that way. And I didn't do anything. All I did was just pray with her and ask her questions. And so I love how you said that God's been speaking all along or He's he's been pursuing us relationally all along. And I think the church is now just catching up to the fact that we're, it's not all about us. And so you're such a good role yeah. model to, because you do go way outside of just normal Christianity, normal church world. You're Like your, your book went to millions and millions of households who would never even understand God. As a matter of fact, I, I watched the movie in one of the audiences with some Muslims and I was like, this is awesome.
1: It <laughs> was my favorite. I know. I know. And and, uh, and it's not that we're just discovering it. We're, I, I think we lost the plot along the rationalist um, yeah sightline uh, in the West anyway and uh, there's many places in the, in the eastern mindset where they have a sense of that connection but uh, let me give you an example of a nudge uh, you know that I wrote the shack and you know that uh, it became a movie well I I had laid the rights down which was which was what I had really believed that I'd heard the Holy Spirit say to me to do and I'd have absolutely no regrets about it whatsoever and my point it was back in the day was you know i don't understand the purposes of god i used to you know being a modern evangelical <laughs> and uh, i used to tell everybody and um but i i don't i know they're all about love but i don't know what that means or looks like so if if god's purposes are better served by a poorly crafted movie i'm in wow. right yeah. um it's the shack's not poorly crafted it, it's an awesome yeah, it book to screen adaptation but in the in the process i didn't anticipate being involved at all and i ended up getting invited to look at the script and talk about the actors and then lionsgate a the secular movie studio invited me to come on this first day set and nice. pray a blessing over the entire cast and crew wow. and then um and then they invited me on the set the first day, and then they later, about sixty days later, they invited me a second time, which they didn't have to do, and um, they didn't have to do any of this. So I'm sitting at my desk with an invitation. We're going to fly you up Wednesday. We'll spend, uh, you know, uh, you'll spend all day Thursday on set. So transport will take you from the Vancouver International Airport in British Columbia to Chilliwack, and uh, which is a little town in. Um, the southern interior uh, uh valley and um that's about two and a half hours depending on traffic so i'm sitting at my desk having just said i'd love to come let's do this and i get a nudge right
0: wow and
1: it's it's like oh there's this guy that i've been trying to meet he's a theologian named brad jerzak I just endorsed his book a more Christ like God it's a beautiful book and he'd been reading Eve on my manuscript and giving me feedback. But I'd never met him face-to-face. I'd met Eden, his wife, but not Brad. And I get this nudge. Hey, uh, maybe Brad, who I know lives in Abbotsford, which is next door to Chilliwack, is in the country. Because Brad spends a good chunk of his year in London as a seminary professor. And uh, so I just email him off of this. I wonder if I could actually meet him. So, hey, Brad, I'm coming up, you know, etc. Email. Instantly get an email back. Hey, can I come pick you up at the airport? Nice. I'm going like, yeah, absolutely. Well, let me check with transport. Oh, yeah. Saves them five hours round trip. No problem. So he said, here's what we'll do. I'll pick you up on Wednesday. We'll have lunch together and then have supper with Eden at our house. And then I'll take you to your hotel in Chilliwack. And then Thursday, you can go about your business. Great. Ten minutes later, another email from, from Brad. And this time, there's a photo attached to it. And it's Brad. And this... Uh, a little bit older gentleman, distinguished looking, turns out to be Dwight. And Dwight's a businessman. And Dwight is Brad's friend who is the first person who told him about the book, The Shack, and gave him his first copy. His wife, Lori, is a spiritual formations director. And um, and Brad says, okay, listen to this. So we're walking in the woods while you and I are emailing. Uh, Dwight and Lori have a little summer cottage up at Cultus Lake in the central interior south, of part of um, British Columbia. And we're spending a few days there. And while we're texting, look, and in the picture is Brad, Dwight, and then this, this neon green arrow sign that says the shack. <laughs> and it's two and a half blocks away from their summer cottage. And they didn't even know that there was a site location there. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, and, and when you shoot a movie, there are site locations everywhere, right? All, uh, oh, yeah. all kinds of places in British Columbia. But they, while we're emailing, they walk into, <laughs> that, into that sign, right? So they're all fired up about this. And then Brad adds a second email. And he says, you know, when you're up here, if there's any way that you could spend some time with Dwight and Lori, your book has had an unimaginable impact in their lives. But three years ago the youngest of their children 16 years old gave her life back to god in the middle of the woods oh, you know had and took her own life and and uh and they are stuck um, he said you know dwight believes that if he can get past the first chapter if he can read the shack again um he could get unstuck but he hasn't been able to get past the first wow. chapter and and Lori is simply furious because her, her daughter is dead. And it's like, how can you let this happen? You know, all, all the human questions and struggles that we have uh, when we face tragedy and loss, which we all do. And um, I said, we'll figure out a way. I said, I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know what they're shooting. I don't know anything. I just know I'm coming up Wednesday. So I do. I fly up Wednesday. He picks me up. And we spend, I mean, it's like meeting a long lost brother. And we spend the afternoon and have supper with Eden. He drops me off at the hotel. I I told him, as soon as I get the call sheet, I'll let you know. Call sheet comes in at 1130 that night. And it says, we'll pick you up at 930 tomorrow morning. We're taking you to the site location at Cultus Lake. So they're there. And I'm going up to Cultus Lake. So I walk onto the set. And... uh, Gil and Lonnie Netter, the husband and wife who co-produced the Shack. Uh, Gil's done Life of Pi, Marley Me, Blindside, and Stuart Hazeldine, who's the director. They, the three of them, were standing in a in a group, and I walk over to them and I said, "Look, I don't know if there's any possibility, but w- would it be okay if four of my friends come on set for the day?" And I told them about the email, and and they not only said yes, they said absolutely. And wow. twenty minutes later, down the waterfront comes the four of them. Uh, Brad, Eden, Dwight, and Lori. And they stepped into a circle of relationship that was profound. So we spend the whole day on set. And they wanted me to come up there the second time because this is where they built the shack. And and so Octavia was there. Sumi, who plays Saru, the Holy Spirit, was there. Aviv, who plays Jesus, is there. And, um, and it's the first time I get to meet them. And they're shooting something to do with you know, an outside shot at the shack. But I still don't know what it is. Now, when they shoot an outside shot, you, you can't hear anything. They uh, You're kind of um, uh, at a distance. The, everything's boomed and miked. But they have this little video village for the producer and the director. And they sit in front of the big screens where the actual shot's being taken. And they have headphones so they can hear what's actually being recorded and they're going to take a scene and they're going to shoot it all morning long one scene all morning repeated shoot it over and over and over different angles and everything one scene all afternoon I still don't know what we're seeing but they had already set up five chairs for us in the video village right so we go in there sit down put headphones on and here's the first scene the the scene that takes all morning it's when Matt comes out uh, for breakfast, and he's had nightmares all night long. And um, you can see his frustration, his disorientation, um, his just his uh, repressed fury. And uh, it starts with uh, uh, Octavia Papa says, uh, uh, you like Neil Young? You know, that, that scene. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love that and, scene. Um, and that starts a conversation. Oh, McKenzie my gosh, so it's like one of
0: the most profound oh, conversations wow. the it movie. is
1: incredible so we're watching this right and it's going to be we're going to watch it over and over and over and over as they reshoot it so mackenzie sits down at one point papa looks at him and says mackenzie the flaw in your thinking is that you don't believe that i'm good i am and i'm at work for good in everything that you consider to be a mess but until you believe that i'm good you're never going to be able to trust me And he looks at her with this fury and he says, why would I ever trust you? My daughter is dead and nothing you can do can change that. And he gets up, smashes the glasses off the table and walks away. And we're sitting there. I'm like, (gasps) and I look over at Dwight and Lori and they're just glued. And we watch it again.
0: Oh my god. And we watch it
1: again. Oh. Why would I ever trust you? My daughter is dead. Why would I ever trust you? My daughter is dead. Until you trust, until you believe that I'm good, you're never going to be able to trust me. We watch it all morning and then we break for lunch and Octavia comes over and Sumi and Aviv and they just wrap us up in hugs and and uh we have lunch with everybody and then we sit back in the video village and it's the scene where pop and Mackenzie Mackenzie sitting on the porch and they're looking at the bird you know Mackenzie, you were created to be loved birds were created to fly but pain has a way of clipping our wings so that we forget we were ever created to fly you know you're looking through this little knothole of your pain and defining the whole universe and we're bawling i mean ah. it, it took us about two to three takes the first in the morning, but in the afternoon, I mean, just, we just lost it. And that evening they wrap me up in their arms and they go like, you have no idea. And I said, I don't, but I'm thinking, look at the, look at the timing. Cause me, the miraculous is always about timing. Yeah. Look at the timing. Ah, uh, Lionsgate has to decide to invite me for a second time on the set, which they don't have to do. I get a nudge to contact Brad. Oh, he's not only in the country, <laughs> in the he's up at Cultus Lake and he's walking right into a site location right as i'm emailing with him and he's with dwight and by the way they've had a horrendous tragedy and the book has had this great impact in them and that's where i get taken and they get invited and embraced into that community for a day and these are the scenes that we get to watch shot over and over and over and it unstuck them wow you know and um It's just, it's one of those things where we are constantly invited to participate. And most of the time we don't, we don't even see it because, you know, we're busy future tripping in some imagination that doesn't exist rather than being present to what's right in front of us. So good. You know,
0: I think a lot of what I hear from you and just even what the shack did is that it took away our force field in the church for not allowing emotional process and not allowing the heart connect process. And I feel like we're getting emotional intelligence very quickly as a Christian community. And one of the things I think about hearing from God, it always builds your self-awareness and your emotional intelligence. And yet in the church, when the gifts are expressed that are more prophetic gifts or charismatic gifts, a lot of times we see those as the least emotionally connected, (laughs) the least, you know, the least profound emotionally you can see. And what I love about this is that, you know, you, you, not only wrote this book, but you've been defining a thought pattern, I think. I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's the right word, but even divi- defining a, a reformation of connection to God that I think is very beautiful. Mm. And this story is an example of how it, it's happening despite you, and it's happening through your stories. It's happening th- in the presence of what you're creating. So, you. know, thank uh, you.
1: my you're welcome. And um I come from a very conservative, cessationist kind of background, and, in which the Holy Spirit stopped doing anything after the first <laughs> century. And, uh, but, you know, part of the problem with the prophetic has been, it's been used as a way that uh, bibliolatrists use the Bible, those who want to find everything inside of those words, that the prophetic sometimes has been a way to disassociate and what you're saying about emotional intelligence is so significant. Because if the prophetic doesn't build an enhance relationship, it's useless regardless yeah, of how true it is. Absolutely. Right. So there is that element that I think is that is being added to us as we come to wholeness ourselves in terms of our own connections to our humanity, our emotional worlds, our mortality. And the in the embracing of not only the great love that we're a part of, but the great loss that involves our connection to this world. That is so good. So
0: well said. Well, wow, we're we're running out of time, but you have an incredible blog and you have ways to get connected to you. What are those ways?
1: Simple. The the website is wmpaulyoung.com and you can connect to Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. I'm I'm not a regular I've I've never been disciplined at anything that I do really, and uh, except except learning how to stay inside the grace of just one day. If I have any discipline, that's it. Wow! And um, but uh, so yeah, so I write stuff, and you know, like I said, still don't have a clue what I'm doing, but I'm having a great time not knowing.
0: Well, I've been enjoying your blog for since you've put it up, and you have obviously Thanks. the books. You can find them anywhere books are sold. And we just so appreciate you. I'm so thankful for your perspective on the show. Thanks for being on the podcast.
1: I love being with you. Love you. Love you too.
0: Thank you for joining us today on Exploring the Prophetic. I'm your host, Sean Bowles, and I want to encourage you to continue the conversation with us. Go to our website, www.bowlesministries.com. Also, let's continue the conversation together at our Facebook page. And if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure to subscribe to it. Join me next time where we explore the prophetic together.